Anyway, I know you do. I know you do. We're in Numbers chapter 5, the fourth book of the Pentateuch, also known as the fourth book of Moses, some people. In Numbers chapter 5. I almost said Nehemiah. Good grief. Numbers chapter 5. If you'll find your place there tonight. Numbers chapter 5, Brother Jim read the text. If you remember from last week, we started this, I started this series on Sunday morning, and now it's, we're back where I wanted here on Sunday night. And, and if we remember last week, we looked at this topic of an ordered life, that God is a God of order. And when life gets out of order, it's like a wheel that is out of balance on a car. Everybody in the car knows it's there. Everybody knows something's wrong with the vehicle. Uh, you can try to outrun it, and it may balance out for a little while, but eventually you got to slow down again, right? And you're going to feel it. And the only we saw last week, the only way to fix a wheel out of balance is to stop driving, pull off the road, go to a, go to a garage, go to a tire shop, go to a professional somewhere, and have them fix the thing so it won't cause any damage and it won't do silly things and it won't just annoy you to pieces while you're driving down the road. Have you ever had a wheel really bad? It's just annoying, isn't it? It's almost as bad as driving through Pennsylvania. Ever do that? Eight hours of back in the late eighties, early nineties, it was fifty-five miles an hour. I hated Pennsylvania. It took eight hours to get across the silly state, and it was just this thump, thump, thump. Oh, never ended. I I hated that. I I did it a few times, and it was not good. But uh, a wheel out of—that's what I'm talking about. A wheel out of balance. A wheel out of balance. And we saw last week that is the, the same remedy for our own life when our life gets out of balance. When you come to the place where, like I said last week, you just, you're feeling life all over. You ever been in a really, really nice car and you just don't feel the road? That's nice, isn't it? Well, you know what? Life's nice like that too when you're just not feeling life. <laughs> but you know what? Sometimes you're feeling life because there's something out of order. There's something wrong going on, and it needs to be tended to. And just like that automobile, you just need to pull off the road. You just need to stop driving your life for a little while, get alone with God, and ask Him to put things back in order because something's wrong in our life. And let God fix the chaos. Let God fix the mess. And so tonight, though, I want to look at this subject here in chapter 5, that in ordered life, we're talking last week about an ordered life, a life, a life that is orderly and, and structured. It has God at the middle. Remember that God is in the center of it all. But tonight, an ordered life is a clean life, a clean life, not a, not not a not a life that takes a lot of showers. I mean, nothing wrong with that. That's okay. That's good. That's good. But it's a clean life. Did you know that's one thing that really messed up the Osage Indians when the when the white man started coming through? My uncle, who's a, a pretty good historian, written some books and things like that. He said one of the things, he's a sixth-generation Ozarkian. His great-great-great-grandmother came through on the Trail of Tears. And uh, he said one of the things that really messed with the Osage Indians is they were, they were, they were clean freaks. Okay? They bathed constantly. They shaved their entire bodies. They just wanted to be clean constantly. And there's another thing about them is they, they could mimic almost every animal sound in the woods. Okay? But they couldn't whistle. So he said the white men came through. They were filthy, dirty, and they whistled. So they just creeped them out. 
<laughs> they almost just surrendered right away. I mean, there's all their superstition kicked in and you know I'm not talking about that type of clean like the Osage I'm talking about a spiritually clean life in front of God and that an ordered life is a is a, is a clean life and I want to show you this here in chapter 5 I mean we won't I don't think this will take too long but those are some famous last words aren't they Number 1 you I want you to notice here that God wanted a clean camp here in Israel look at this in verse 1 he commanded the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper Everyone that hath an issue, and whosoever is defiled by the dead, both male and female, ye shall put out without the camp, uh, shall ye put them. And notice the first thing here that's mentioned is leprosy. And I'm thankful we don't deal with that as much anymore. It is still uh, an issue in parts of the world, but not like it used to be. And uh, there are still some leper colonies out across the world, not very many of them. I think there's still an island off Belize that has a leper colony, if I'm not mistaken, some in Africa here and there. But leprosy is a long-term, it's a long-term bacterial infection. It's also known as Hansen's disease by the uh, this famous Norwegian doctor, the last name of Hansen, who kind of discovered the, the bacterial infection, the bacteria, the infection that caused this. And before medication, as you know, there is really no, there's no cure for it. Today, there's, there's four different medicines they can go on. There's antibiotics that they can go on with these medicines and pretty much get leprosy under control. Now, you have heard, I'm sure you've heard this, right? That, that armadillos are natural carriers of the leprosy virus. They're natural carriers. Usually you can't tell because of their hard shell over them. You don't see all of that that's going on of the, the stuff underneath. We had a dog one time that loved to roll in, in animals, and there's uh, dead animals. And, of course, there's this smashed armadillo on the road. And, of course, he went and he rolled right around in that thing. And I thought, well, I want to see if you get leprosy now, buddy. But, of course, he was fine. Never did get it. But before their medication, there's no cure for it. No cure at all. People would, would, when it got really bad to the point of losing body parts and and many times dying from not necessarily just the leprosy, but dying from the infections that could occur because of the leprosy. Let me give you a few facts about leprosy. I'm not going to sing the camp song about it. Some people may know that song you sing at camp about leprosy. and (laughs) Man, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Let me give you some facts about leprosy. It's contagious from contact. From contact. That's why there was laws written about it. That's why they had to cover their, their face and their mouth when they'd come in to Israel and come from out among people. That's why they had to yell out, unclean, unclean. They had to warn people that they had leprosy and that they were coming to because it was a contagious disease. It can show up within a year of contact, but it can also lie dormant for up to 20 years. Leprosy can. It attacks the nerves. And the, in, in the nerve endings, which eventually brings on a loss of feeling. Um, it's progressive. As it progresses, the muscles can be attacked and eventually there can be a loss of limbs. Fingers, things like that will begin falling off. And uh, because of the bacterium, you can't see it. You don't go, oh, there goes leprosy. Don't touch that, except the person who has it. But it's a bacterium, you can't see it. But it's only with time that you do that you see the symptoms as they begin to show up. Now, leprosy is devastating. It was also an embarrassing disease. 
because you were ostracized. You were put out for health reasons. You were put out of the camp and you're, you, you were not to, you couldn't deal with it. Probably a lonely life. Very lonely life. So this was leprosy that God says, anybody that's a leper, put them out of the camp. Put them in another place. Don't let them among people. But there's another thing here, which he said, uh, and, and uh, everyone that hath an issue. That word issue means to flow or to gush. It's an issue or a discharge. And it's speaking of an individual with, with like a flux or any other type of seeping from the body. I'm not going to get too disgusting tonight. Uh, I, I mean... I mean, it doesn't bother me too, but I just think some people might not enjoy this. But listen to Luke at chapter 8, verses 43 through 44. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living among upon the physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. Immediately her issue of blood stanched or staunched. Maybe that's the right way to pronounce that. I forgot. So she had this issue of blood. She had blood that just, she bled. She just bled from her body. Listen to Luke 16, 21, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Uh, Brother Brother Seth just preached this uh, Wednesday night. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Putrefying sores. Do I have to get descriptive here? (laughs) Yeah. Job would pop the boils with shards of clay. Yeah, and get all that pus in there to come out and... Try to get him to pack it with wood ash. And what was he doing? Job would have been told to get out of the camp. Lay aside from the camp. A person with an issue is somebody with any type of a bodily ailment that, exc- that, that excretes some type of contaminated fluid. Yeah. Pus. Oh, what a gross word. What an, what an appropriate word to just, 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 doesn't it sound, it just sounds bad all in, its, all in itself. So there is the leper. There is the person, the man or the woman who had the issue. And then the third, the third issue here is the person who's been defiled by, by the dead. And now I think this is kind of obvious. If you come in contact with a dead body that maybe has just recently died because of a disease, maybe you're going to get that disease possibly. You know what you can get from a dead body? You can get hepatitis B. You can get hep C. You can get HIV. You can get tuberculosis. You can get cholera. You can get a lot of things from a dead body. And so God says if you, if you've touched a dead body, if somebody, maybe somebody in your tent died and you carried them out of the tent to bury them, well, you've got to go out of the camp now for a period of time. Usually it was a seven day period of time. They had to clean themselves, clean the clothes, stay out of the camp, make sure everything was, was clean. And then, then they could come back in later. So here we are is in, in here we have God details here for us, uh, that the camp is to be clean. There are certain things that are not to be allowed in the camp. But secondly now, God details how to keep the camp clean. And really, this is simple. This is really simple. Look at verse 3. Both male and female shall you put out without the camp, shall you put them, that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. So what do you do with them? You remove them, and you quarantine them. Pretty simple, isn't it? That's all you have to do. Now, I'm trying to think here where I want to go with this. Let me just say this. I'll say it this way. There is no, there is no provision given 
for the children of Israel to coexist with these carriers of disease within the camp. God never said, well, if you do this, or put this ointment on you, or wrap yourself up with this, or do that, then you can go ahead and live in the camp and just carry on with your disease among the people that are whole and healthy. No, he never said that. The, 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 the prescription was always the same. Get them out. Don't allow them to stay in the camp with you. So it was removal and it was quarantine. Actually, this is what we're doing today with this coronavirus scam thing. Okay, this is what we're doing. They're quarantining people and, and testing them. They have to wait for 14 days. As we know, this is why, why Brother Freeman can't be with us on the 15th. He, does, he can't get into the, he's gonna, if he comes here, he's going to be quarantined for two weeks. Yeah, but this is what we're doing right now with the coronavirus. Did you know the coronaviruses were discovered in 1960? Do you know these things have been around a while? The coronavirus has been around a long time. It's believed to cause. This is what 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 the what the what one um, uh, writing uh, said that I was reading it says coronaviruses are believed to cause a significant. This is written before the scare we have right now. Coronaviruses are believed to cause a significant proportion of all common colds in adults and children. Common cold in adults and children. <laughs> yeah. So what God is doing here is there is no way to live with these unclean people. You, there is no way to coexist with them. He left no opportunity just to go ahead and get along with them and figure out a way to allow it to stay. He said, get it out. Quarantine it. Remove it. Okay? Complete removal. And then we see here in verse 3, there is no respecter of persons, man or woman. Doesn't matter. Whoever, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they're head, the head, it doesn't matter if they're, they, they're a captain, doesn't matter if they're in charge, doesn't matter if, get them out. Get them out of here, both male and female. And as you see here, I believe this was, in many ways, was intended to be uh, a commandment for the children of Israel forever. Now, I know we have medicine and things today. But but before that time, look at you know you think back to Second Chronicles chapter twenty six and verse twenty one. Remember King Uzziah, he became a leper at the end of his life. He said, "In, in, in Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house in a separate home, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord." And and Jotham his son was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. He was quarantined. Uzziah was, and he wasn't able to come into the camp again. He was, or not camp, but wasn't able to come into uh, come into the the house of the Lord, come into the temple at all. He lived in a separate house from everybody. This is five hundred years later. This is five hundred years after the commandment here given to Moses. So this commandment didn't really go away. God didn't say, well, "Okay, well, go ahead, you can go ahead and live with the unclean now; it'll be all right." No, it was still going to be a problem, even in Jesus' day. We just read a little bit ago. The lepers came in, and they they were seeking cleansing from Jesus, seeking to be healed from Jesus. They had to come in with that rag over there. I just talked about all of that. No, it's it's there. Let me say it this way: there was never a time when it was okay to coexist with people that had these diseases. And had these issues about them. Because it's contagious. And somebody else could get it. And you could end up actually wiping out the whole family of Israel. If you weren't careful. So God wanted a clean camp. And God details how to keep the clean camp. And now God, now thirdly, God is going to detail why the camp 
should be clean. Why does God want a clean camp? Does he want Israel to live through this wilderness wanderings? I, yeah, I think that's logical. Absolutely. It's no, there's no great, great thing in bringing a bunch of sick, leprous family up to their new possession. Here you go. Here's the land. Go on in it. You won't live about a couple of years, and hopefully all your limbs won't fall off before you get a chance to enjoy this. But go ahead. God wanted clean. He wanted a healthy people going into the camp. We've kind of visited that last week just a little bit on the dietary laws and things like that. But God, but, but why else would God want the camp to be clean? Into verse 3, look at this. That they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. You know why God wanted a clean camp? He says, because this is where I'm dwelling. And it needs to be clean. He chose to dwell there. So God wants a clean camp, and he, he details how to keep it clean, and pretty simple. He shows us why he wants to be kept clean. Do you know there's a spiritual application here as well? You go back over to 2 Timothy 3.16, we know the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every, uh, unto every all good, every good work. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable. So we notice here in 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 Numbers chapter five that we we have a spiritual application. It's pretty clear, actually. Remember the tabernacle is a picture. I, I showed us a while back how you can see the tabernacle is a picture of the human body. But you know, I think there is a, a more, uh, uh, a, 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 another picture of the tabernacle that's even more specific than the human body. And it gets down to the human heart. The human heart. Notice, remember we looked last week, that tabernacle, where is it? Right in the midst of the camp. What's around the heart, the closest thing to the heart, the Levites, those with the oracles of God, those doing the sacrifices, those of the priestly line, those of the ministry, those are in tune with the word of God. And then around those tribes of the Levites were all of the tribes of, of, uh, of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see here that it's in the very heart of man where God, by His Holy Spirit, takes up His residence, isn't it? Watch this. If God is where He should be in our life, the heart will always be pointing in one direction. You ever have a divided heart? Yeah. You notice the tabernacle was always pointing east? <laughs> There's always a certain specific direction it was pointing. It had to point east. Single in its direction. I, I think there's a beautiful illustration of the singleness of our heart and how the direction of our heart should be constantly pointing where God wants to be pointed. And if God is in the center of our life, if He is where we have placed Him, where we were in, in His rightful place where He should be, our heart will not be divided. It will be pointing exactly in the direction that He wants it in, in and of His will. So if God is going to dwell in the heart of His people, watch this, it's got to be clean. You say, God God will cease dwelling in us? No, thankfully not. 
We know that's not the case. We know the Holy Spirit of God doesn't leave the believer. He can't leave the believer, and, and which is why we grieve the Holy Spirit of God when we, when we don't have a clean heart. But, but, but realize this, and, and let, we shouldn't forget this really, that God is holy. God is a holy God. It speaks of His purity. It speaks of His beauty. It speaks of His power. Really, and I've said this before, God could be nothing else if He were not holy. Because all of the attributes of God flow through His holiness. So leprosy and the issue and the defiling from the dead body, I think spiritually are all pictures of sin in the heart and the life of the child of God, where God is dwelling. What an apt picture of sin, isn't it? Leprosy. Pretty disgusting. If you want to really be grossed out, you can do it right before supper or something, go online and look at the effects of leprosy. If you dare. And maybe you can look at that and think, is this how God views my sin or is it even worse than this? Pretty putrefying and disgusting. Good picture of sin, this leprosy is. Contagious from contact. <laughs> Contagious from contact. First Corinthians 15.33, Be not deceived, evil communications, corrupt good manners. Yeah. No, what about Psalm 1 1? Blessed is the blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, that standeth not in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Why? It's gonna it's gonna rub off on you. I mean, you some of you have been in uh, Sunday school long enough and church long enough, you've heard all of the illustrations. You know, you've heard it. Now, if I take this brand new clean white washcloth and I take this muddy washcloth and I put them together and, and put them together, is that clean washcloth going to make the dirty one clean? No, of course not. That dirty one's making the white one clean. I'm dirty. Oh, clean. Making the clean one dirty. Absolutely. Yeah. It's contagious. It's contagious. That's why we have to be so careful of protecting ourselves. Not to the point, I I know some have gone the other direction for for a personal holiness and have quit affecting the the, the world with the gospel. And oh, I can't I can't get around that. But you know what? Your heart will determine what your what what, what your uh, why you want it, why you want to go around certain people. I had somebody tell me they were they were going with some friends somewhere. And uh, I, I said, them? Really? Well, they need to be saved. Is that your reason for going with them? No, it wasn't. No. There's plenty of time they could, those friends could have been invited to church that were not. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you don't want to swing the pendulum, though, to the other end, to what from one side to the other of, of just uh, hobnobbing with the lost, because actually you just enjoy their company and their sins rubbed off on you and you're just like, uh, you, but you don't want to go to the other way and just have nothing to do with, with, with anybody in the world at all. That both those, both of those areas are wrong. There's a beautiful song that the Marshall family sings. They say, how do we reach a world that we never touch? How do we share Christ if, if we never show them love? 
He said, the song goes on to say, we, we sit behind these stained glass windows, you know, while a world is, is going away without Christ. It's a great song. It's a great thing to ask ourselves. But sin is contagious, and we have to always make sure of our motives at all times. Sin is contagious. I think like leprosy, sin can show up within a year of contact, but it can show up after being dormant for 20 years. Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Have you ever gone out and planted corn in God at the next day? We've heard these things. Of course not. From what I understand, there are certain types of bamboo that you won't see even sprout for years. You won't see anything. You'll think, oh, I, I, had a, I had a crepe myrtle tree. Oh, I'm so upset at myself. I had a crepe myrtle tree. We cut down one spring because we had that bad ice storm in 07. Killed all these, you knocked all these trees down. I lost six trees on our property to the ice storm. And that crepe myrtle, I love crepe myrtles. One of my favorite trees. If you ever want to get me a birthday present, get me a crepe myrtle. Love them. And so, because they just say warmth and heat and, you know, I love them. They're beautiful. And the flowers. Anyway. And so, <laughs> this crepe myrtle, it was... April, it was May, there's no leaves, there's no nothing. I thought, boy, we lost that one too. And I was having some work done in the yard, and I told the guy, just go ahead and cut that thing out of there. And the guy goes, yeah, it's probably dead. But you know what I noticed not too long after that? Crepe myrtles all over the place coming up. Leaves coming out. You know why? Because they come out late around here. June. I cut down a live crepe myrtle is what I did. And it was huge. It was beautiful. No, because I just didn't see the growth immediately. You know, I thought, well, everything else was, no, it was dormant for a little while longer. You know, your sin does that too, doesn't it? It lies dormant for a little while, and then sometimes it'll show up, usually when we don't want it to. Yeah. David's sin showed up in about nine months. <laughs> Although it was probably a year before Nathan came to him. Yeah, it can lie dormant for a while, and it can show up. Pretty quickly. Also, like leprosy, it attacks the nerves and there's a loss of feeling. I wish I could find the message again by Vance Hafner, who preached a wonderful message called Getting Used to the Dark. What an appropriate message. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was preached in about 1967, and I thought he would weep today. He would weep. Used to the dark. A loss of feeling occurs with sin. Hebrews 3.13, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. It's deceitful. And it hardens us. It makes us numb. I heard somebody say this was on a radio program. They said, uh, you know, the problem with sin is not that uh, God can't forgive. The problem with the continual life pattern of sin is that you may possibly get to the place in your life where you just don't ever want to be forgiven again. You just done. You don't even seek forgiveness anymore. Why? Because you've gotten so numb from it. Calluses are wonderful on a hand, not on a heart. But not only that, because leprosy is like a bacterium and you cannot see it, so too with sin, sometimes it's the same way. And it's only with time do symptoms show up. 
You ever have a child rebel and you thought, boy, I thought they were just doing great. No, there was something in the heart that was festering for years. And it manifests itself when they were safe to do it. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all else, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Hidden down in there. You know, just as God wanted a clean camp and within Israel, I think it's probably safe to say that God wants a clean heart and life in us as well. Don't you think so? Would you agree with that? Is that probably, yeah. And one, I think one of the greatest reasons for a life that is out of order, one of the greatest reasons is in the area of personal holiness. Now folks, I, listen, I know tonight we are bombarded like never before in, in the history of the United States. I mean, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. Listen to Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 7. The third book of the Pentateuch. (laughs) Sanctify yourselves, therefore. The word sanctify, you know, it means set apart. Set yourself apart, therefore, and be ye holy. For I am the Lord your God. The other day, a while back, eh, a few months ago, I made a mistake because we were, Sherry and I were staying at Philip's house watching Andrew and uh, Hart and getting them ready for church because they were coming with it because Philip and his wife went down, uh, went on vacation and we watched the kids or Sherry watched them. I just showed up and, uh, and, uh, we were getting ready for church and he had his little outfit on. And, and I said, uh, I made a mistake. I said, well, do you want your tie on like Paul's got? And he goes, yeah, I want a tie like Paul. You know, and Sherry goes, I don't have a tie with him. <laughs> you shouldn't have said that. I'm like, oops, sorry. And so I was like, he's like, I want a tie. I want a tie. I want a tie. You know, he wanted a tie. Why? Because Paul had a tie on. Yeah. I wonder if that should be our attitude with God. God says, I'm holy. Oh, I want to be holy. God's whole, oh, I want to, yeah. Yeah, wouldn't that be, wouldn't it be nice if we had that? Yeah. The kid that wants to be like his dad, the one that wants the little girl that wants to be like her mother. What about the little child of God that wants to just be like their father? He's holy, isn't he? He's holy. First Peter 1.15, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. The word conversation there meaning our lifestyle. Holy in everything? God, God wants purity and holiness in every aspect of our life? Yeah. <laughs> That's impossible. Yeah, without God it is impossible. But thankfully we have the indwelling Spirit of God. <laughs> yeah. Now if your life is out of balance and disorderly, it's most likely that there may be some uncleanness in your life. Some uncleanness. And when there is sin and uncleanness, you know what happens? We end up quenching the Holy Spirit of God and God cannot do with our life what what He wants to do with it. 
No, the Spirit of God, He hasn't left us. We've just walked away from Him. That presence of God we preached about several weeks ago. And the person of God. What does God want for the camp of your life? In my life? He wants it clean. Why? Because where He dwells. And He's of, they believe it's Habakkuk, of pure eyes and to behold evil. Can't not look upon sin. He wants cleanliness. I'm amazed today and as you look around of the nominal Christian and just the visible uncleanness in their life. And then sometimes I look in my own heart and life and go, oh yeah, you're there too, buddy. <laughs> Don't get too excited. Yeah. So how clean is your life? I was in a church one time. I don't know if you've ever had this happen. You go to travel to different churches. You're on vacation. Our jet setters over here, they go you know, all over the world and, and things like that and cruises, and they go to different churches, don't you? You ever walk into some churches, and some churches are cold and some churches are warm. Some churches are dirty. There's just something about them, and some are just clean. I tell you, I never forget. I was down in Oklahoma or in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was working down there. Went to a church on a Wednesday night, and uh, you'd know some of you may know the church if I mentioned it. But one of the most overwhelming things that I took from that church was what a clean place that was. Just a sense of I mean, just a, a, a holy clean cleanliness about the place. Yeah. It was a, what a sense that was. I was like, wow, what a place. This is, that's interesting. I, you know, listen, when you work on construction sites, you, when you work in, in the, you know, you know what filth is. And you, you know, when you get around the, that aura, or not that aura, but that spirit of filth. And yeah, I feel it in churches sometimes, but not this one over until it was beautiful, beautiful place. How clean is your life? What do we do to have a clean life? Well, do what David did. Ask God to search your heart. 139th Psalm, search me, O God, and know my heart. Watch this. Try me. Put me on trial, God. Put my heart on trial. Know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David said, search every aspect of me and show me what's wrong. Why? Just so he can know what's wrong? No, so he can so he can take care of it and get it out of his life and get the camp clean again. Yeah. So ask God to search your heart and life. Number two, confess confess what God shows you as sin. If God shows you something, I've told you this before. It was uh, R. A. Tory was headed to a meeting somewhere. He said he was deathly sick. He couldn't get well. Kept asking God to heal him and God wouldn't heal you'll find this in his book on the power of prayer he said God wouldn't heal him God wouldn't heal and he said God just kept bringing something back to me as sin and I just I just thought I, you know he said I didn't think it was sin and he just kept bringing it back and God wasn't healing me and I needed to preach and I was couldn't get and he said finally said I just said no he said I finally confessed it and agreed with God okay that's sin I agree with you I'll stop he said God healed my body and I got up and I went to the meeting I was supposed to go to Oh, that's spooky. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. 
No, there's some, uh, there may be things when God searches your heart that he points out, you go, that? Seriously? Yeah, that. <laughs> and when he shows it to us, you know, what do we do? Agree with him and confess it. Okay, that's sin. That's sin. Yeah. First John 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession. Confession. And then number three, on our part, when confession comes and God removes the debt and the, and the, the, the removes that uh, and forgives us of those things and removes that, that, that the word I'm looking for, the debt of those sins from our life, I guess for lack of a better word. Now it's time for us to involve ourselves and remove those sins from our life. Does it make any sense for you for God to give us His Word and show us what's wrong? To just know what He thinks is wrong? <laughs> and then just walk along without it making any change in our life whatsoever? Does that make any sense? It's like telling your child, uh, you know what? Lying is bad. Now tell me, lying is bad. Alright, lying is bad. Alright. Alright, did you take the cookies? No? Okay, go on. You know. Well, yes, they did. They just lied to you. You know, I mean, could you imagine just being uh, being okay with that of their lying after you just taught them that lying was wrong and sin, and then just being okay with them lying all that? No, the the goal of teaching your child not to lie is that the, so they don't lie again, right? Yeah, we're supposed to remove the sins out of our life. Proverbs twenty eight thirteen: He that covereth covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth there's that word confess again. I've said this before. Don't teach your kids to say I'm sorry. Teach them to say I'm wrong and confess. Because they can say sorry all, all day long and never confess anything that it's wrong. They just want to get in trouble. <laughs> he that covereth his sin shall not part, but, he, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So there's our part in it, isn't it? God shows us, I want a clean camp. God says, this is what is unclean. And we say, okay, God, I agree that is unclean. So what do we do? Take that thing that's unclean, like the leper, like the one with the issue, like the one who's touched the dead body, and chuck them out of the camp. And don't come back. <laughs> because there's no way for us to coexist together in that condition. You know, there's no way for you to coexist with, their, with our sin. We have no way to do that. God has provided no way to do that. The only way he has provided, the only thing he's provided is, is for us to get it out of the camp and be done with it. Isaiah 55, 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he'll have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Boy, I like that. He will abundantly pardon. When does he pardon? When does he pardon? When the wicked, when he forsakes his way. That way is just his, his path of life, his direction he's going. When he forsakes that, when that unrighteous man forsakes his thoughts and gets right thoughts again and changes his way, God says, I'll, I'll have abundant pardon for that. I like that. That's the point of it all. Hebrews 12.1, Wherefore, seeing we are also encompassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily set us and let us run the race with patience that is set before us let us lay aside every weight and the sin 
that does so easily beset us. Do you have a besetting sin? Yeah, you do. But you know what I think is wrong to say? I've heard this said, well, you know, we all have a besetting sin, which means coexist with it. There's nothing you can do about it. No. No. Yes, we all have a besetting sin. And mine is different than yours, and yours is different than theirs and everybody else's. But the admonition here for the child of God is to lay it aside. Lay it aside so you can run. Could you imagine running a marathon with a 200-pound backpack on your back? Some wouldn't even get up off the ground. <laughs> Put that on and thunk. You know, you're lying on your back looking up at the sky. Yeah, that'd be hard. Or maybe just what about five pounds on each ankle? Oh, it's just a little thing. See how far you run until that those little five pound weights start showing up. Yeah. So if you're a born again child of God tonight, is God dwelling in a clean heart tonight? Is he dwelling in a clean heart? If you, listen, if you want a life that's not out of balance, if you want a life that is not a life that you're feeling all the time, bumping down the road, jarring your head, annoying everybody else on the ride with you, if that's the kind of life you want, you just might need to do a little bit of cleaning and quarantining in the camp. Because an ordered life is a clean life. I think that's what God's trying to reiterate, to instill in us here in Numbers chapter 5. Are you living a clean life? It's a good question for all of us. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the reminder, Lord, that you are holy. I'm so thankful that I have a heavenly Father that's holy and is undefiled. We live in such a defiled world. I couldn't imagine trying to find any consolation, any joy, any help, any rest in a God that was defiled. So thankful that you reiterate over and over again your holiness. Father, I know that it's your desire for your children to be holy like you. I know we're not speaking of perfection, but you've given us a way when the, when the sin does come into the camp, when the leprosy does show up, you've given us a way to get it out, to quarantine it, and not allow it back in. And so, Father, as you search hearts even tonight by your Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us tonight? And I just pray, God, that we would all have the heart to come before you and ask you to point out in us any wicked way that might be there. Lord, that you could have a clean a clean tabernacle and a clean camp like you deserve. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? Piano's playing. Invitation is open. There not, may not be a thing in your mind that the Holy Spirit right now is saying, oh, you got this right here, buddy. You better get it right. Now, if there is, you better get it right. But there may not be a thing on your radar. But maybe tonight, would you just maybe take a moment to come to an altar and just ask God, would you just search me? 
Would you just say, maybe there's something there that I'm not seeing. I really want to see it. Maybe life has just been out of order. And you're getting sick of the bumps. <laughs> getting tired of the jarring life. And you just need to ask God to search your heart and show you any wicked way. It's just a life of submission, folks. And trust in the Lord God. However the Lord has led the Invitations open, the altars are open, you come. How many of you would be willing with a raised hand this week just to say, <clears throat> I, I, you could raise your hand and just say, I will, I'm going to spend some time this week and I want to ask God to search me to see if there's something that maybe I don't even see, that He has called sin and that I need to get out of the life. Would anybody, would anybody do that this week? Anybody do that? Yeah. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. God deserves a clean dwelling place. You know what happens when hearts get clean? Churches get clean. Brother Coral Curtis, would you close us in a word of prayer tonight?